Hello, and welcome to this month's episode of the CF Armed Forces podcast with me, your host, James Clark. On this month's episode, we'll be speaking to Hannah Jarvis, the Police and Crime Commissioner candidate for Gwent, Johnny Ball, the founder and driving force behind Campaign Force, and Daisy Peck, one of our members who's a reservist in the Intelligence Corps. Our first guest on today's podcast is Hannah Jarvis. Hannah has previously deployed on operations overseas with the British Army as a reservist. She's worked in insurance and the civil service and now works as a parliamentary caseworker for David T.C. Davis. She's a school governor and a proud mum and is on the campaign trail as the police and crime commissioner for Gwent. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us um, on this month's CFAF podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about your military service? Yeah, certainly. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, my my background with the forces is not that standard, I suppose. Um, I guess my interest began as a, as a cadet back in the day. Um, and then when I went to university, I joined the University Air Squadron. Um, and then I saw the lights and joined the Office Training Corps. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I've just always really enjoyed everything I, I did at each stage of my life and, and taking it a bit further. Um, after um, the OTC, I then became an army reservist, joined the TA as it was still back then, um, and mobilized for a couple of tours. Uh, the big one was Tadic 10, 2007. We also did the UN peacekeeping tour and four months in Canada for Batus and various other exercises and ski trips. <laughs> Um, so that's that's how I began really. And what role did you undertake on um, Telic? Um, I worked in the battle group Intel, so I was attached to um, the Royal Welsh. Um, that was my when I was a reservist, um, my parent unit, which was great for me. Um, you know, because back then it wasn't you know girls couldn't join all the corps they can now. Um, mm. But I really enjoyed infanteering and, and being on exercise going in the field digging in I loved it so I had that opportunity I was actually cap badged the medic um yeah attached to the infantry and went out and did the inside of things <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yes yeah a bit of a, a mix and multi-role yeah but they sent me off to chick sands and I, I did the course before deploying and um, enjoyed that and I really enjoyed actually uh, on Telic. I was the female searcher for the strike team as well, and wow. it was um, that was fantastic. Again, you know, at that time, um, young and, and really sort of gung ho, and not everyone went beyond the wire. So I was going out on all the strike ops and got to see a bit of Basra City, which I, I loved, and it was really nice actually doing int and seeing it through to the end on the ground you know seeing the the work I'd done in action and, and seeing the conclusion so yeah I loved it. And are you still involved in the reserves now? No I'm not now um I have two small children now um so yeah life's, life's moved on is a bit different. That's the latest adventure. Yeah yes yeah and way harder than <laughs> anything I saw in Iraq. <laughs> I, I bet, I bet. Um, so, so was your, do you think your military service um, inspired you to stand as a political candidate or do you think it was the other way round? I suppose my question is kind of why, 
why are you um, political? Why are you kind of politically aware when when other people maybe aren't? Um, well, it definitely um, inspired me to enter politics. I think once you've served in whatever form, you never really lose that desire um, to serve and to stand up for what you believe in and defend those who aren't always able to. Um, life has moved on since those days for me, um, but one gave rise to the other, I suppose. Um, and now at this stage of my life, this is how I see myself serving again. So yes, it very much um, paved the way for me entering politics. And you're standing as the police and crime commissioner candidate in Gwent for the Conservatives. How did that come about? Can you sort of talk talk the listeners through the whole process, you know, from start to finish, from you you sort of seeing it advertised or thinking you'd like to do that to, to kind of where you are now? Well, actually, it was a I hadn't really considered it. I was asked to to consider um, the selection process and consider standing. It hadn't really um uh, register hadn't been on my radar I, I stood in the general election last year um and really enjoyed the experience and i thought oh it's, it's over for another five years <laughs> um actually it wasn't <laughs> it and, wasn't and where did you Anna, where did you stand uh, in the ron there right and then and, um, and how did it go um it was it was always a big ask. Um, <laughs> yeah, very very safe Labour seat to progress against an established MP. Um, I so I was pretty pleased with the result because we um, you know we increased our our vote share um, by five percent there, and I just you know it was a very good experience for me, um, and stood me in good stead for this. Um, so. Yes, earlier this year, um, I think it was February, I had the selection panel and passed that and was asked to be the candidate. Um, and it's PCC is it's a funny one. It's it's very new in um, in terms of politics. You know, this is only the third election we'll have um, since the role was created eight years ago. So uh, you know, not a lot of is known about it in many ways. Mm. But actually, when I looked into it and I thought with my background, actually, this is something I'd really love to do, you know, uniformed service, um, you know, I, I, not directly, but it's it's sort of my bag. And actually, I thought I, mm. I would really like to do this. Um, it's been a steep learning curve, um, but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, and, and what campaign issues are you standing on? What's the sort of local situation? Well, Gwent's a vast area, and you know, obviously the, the policing areas are a lot bigger than constituencies, so it covers a, a pretty vast area. So um, there are lots of issues. The, the big three that I'm campaigning on are rural crime, because we have a, quite a, a big issue around here, antisocial behaviour, because you, you get that everywhere. We've got you know, um, Newport, is our big city yeah. here went and that's a problem over there and road safety is the other big one which is becoming uh, a problem increasingly everywhere you know, that's, that's nationwide mm. um, so you know speeders drink drivers drug users 
mm. um, mobile phone users and sort of um, you know obviously county lines um, if we can stop them get them off the roads that will mm. really hinder county lines so that's they're the, the big three I'm campaigning about but obviously it's been made more difficult to campaign because of the the coronavirus pandemic is that I mean, presumably that has has blown the blown the campaign off course a bit. And how have you have you sort of made the best of a of a bad situation with that? It, yeah, it's certainly changed things. I mean, the the elections were originally supposed to be held in May this year, so they've been mm. already postponed by twelve months, which is quite a big ask in terms of campaigning mm. um, to do an additional twelve months. You you commit, but um, none of us really signed up for an additional twelve months. So it's it's already a, a bigger undertaking than anticipated, and as you say, been made <laughs> much more problematic. We can't take the normal routes. We can't knock on doors at the moment. Mm. Um, and here, it, you know, most of South Wales is back in lockdown. Most of Gwent is back in mm. local lockdown. So we can't even gather and have meetings or anything like that. So it's meant we've had to evolve pretty quickly and focus on the online side of campaigning um, mm. so you know everyone you know I, I hadn't this time last year I hadn't heard of zoom um, so lots of zoom meetings and mm. a couple of events obviously it impacts our fundraising as well um, mm. you know we can have all the quizzes and guest speakers we like online but they don't command the same fundraising as as events in the flesh would so it, it's course, challenging yeah. but everyone's in the same boat so we've just got to make the best of it and so have you been doing digital advertising rather than physical advertising or is it more about galvanizing a, a sort of supporter base with those events yeah the latter really um mm. yeah we, i mean we have we've we've printed some calling cards in anticipation mm. of being able to do that hopefully in the not too distant future but yes it's um it's all groups online and, and meetings mm. online really more than anything else and yeah exploiting all the social media sites it must be quite lonely doing it that way i mean one of the things that i enjoy about campaigning whether i'm standing as a candidate or whether i'm helping other people is that kind of social aspect and and meeting up you know in a group of well hopefully 30 but probably more like five people you know going door to door and sort of meeting up and then perhaps going to the pub afterwards it must be a really strange um feeling to to not be doing that you know to be tuning in on zoom and then clicking leave the meeting and then you're just back in your living room or or in your office or whatever yes it is it's um it's it's pretty surreal and i think um the pcc elections in particular can be quite isolating because mm. um you know as i was saying the policing areas are so much larger bigger there, there are a few of you um so, you know, in the general election, we were all, all the candidates close to one another, we were all mucking in and mm. um, campaigning reciprocally, helping one another. We, it's, it's not like that anyway. And then with this to boot, yes, I think it is quite isolating and, and quite surreal. For instance, I haven't, I've got a, an agent who's fantastic. Mm. I haven't actually met him in the, in the flesh. <laughs> so it's, it's so um, strange. unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very. I mean, so drawing, drawing perhaps on your experience at the general election, as well as, as this, this current fight, um, 
what kind of qualities do you think a good campaigner needs to have i mean whether that's kind of military inspired or whether that's just off the top of your head you know what what qualities do you think that a good campaigner needs could have a thick skin you know I, i'm developing that pretty quickly especially um having stood in such a, a labor safe seat you know i did have doors slammed in my face and mm. abuse held at me so yeah thick skin stamina um <laughs> to go and knock on hundreds of doors sometimes um and that that sort of dogged attitude to get you through the day um yeah and one thing i definitely have from the army not being afraid of a bit of rain <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't raining you ain't training <laughs> exactly it is waterproof and all that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh well hey that's that's a, an excellent point very important particularly in wales my, my yeah <laughs> and i i yeah i i can mm. i can see why you highlighted that as an, as an important <laughs> uh, aspect yeah. um so um finally um hannah what uh, what advice would you give to other people from military backgrounds who might want to get interested in politics or become a candidate themselves as as I think you're aware um, Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces does try and sort of steer people with military backgrounds into politics because we think they've got the right kind of characteristics but what kind of advice would you give to, to somebody who's listening to this and perhaps thinking May, maybe I'll have a crack at it? Oh, I'd, I'd encourage anyone to um, certainly go along to their association if they're not already a member see what it's all about um, I think, you know, as you have said, that the qualities you develop in the forces, the values and standards are so needed in politics. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, the, the more veterans, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Gosh, so that's I, great. That that sounds like that sounds like it should be the soundbite for the for, for Conservative Friends <laughs> of the Armed Forces. That was perfect. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Um, yeah. Hannah, I know you've got a, a, a busy day ahead, so we'll let you go there. But thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Or in fact, actually, how can, um, how can people contribute to your campaign in Gwent if they're listening? Uh, you can go onto my website, which um, I was very grateful for your donation, which helped me set that up. So um, hannahjarvis.org.uk. Um, and I update that regularly with articles and, and what I'm up to. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook as well, all the, the normal social media. So, yes, have a look and, um, yeah. Um, and, and hopefully try and get involved. That's great, Hannah. Thank yeah. you so much. It's been great to speak to you. And, um, and good luck with the rest of the campaign. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks. Our next guest is longtime supporter of CF Armed Forces, Johnny Ball. In his civilian career, he's run campaigns at every level of government, from local to national and European elections. He led the MOD's Employer Relationship Management Team and is a trusted networker within the veterans community. He's also consulted for large employers on their own veterans programmes. His lengthy Army Reservist service includes operational tours of Northern Ireland and Afghanistan. He's also the founder of Campaign Force, whose mission is to provide a pathway for veterans to continue to serve their communities in elected positions. Johnny, it's great to have you on the show this month. We're going to roll straight into it. Um, obviously, you are the, the face and the brains behind Campaign Force, which, um, which we've kind of plugged uh, through our, our, our monthly newsletters and also some of your events as well. But could you tell us about 
your personal journey prior to campaign force you know who you are what motivates you what your professional kind of career has been like uh, well i think brains has been a bit generous with that intro uh, but <laughs> absolutely and uh, yeah thank you and the conservative friends of the armed forces for pushing out some of our activity that's it's been really a good collaboration and certainly that's the way that i work and, and i think that's the way that the veterans community very much works best these days um well where where did i start i kind of reluctantly fell into politics and it came about through a bit of a disappointment in life so even though i joined the armed forces at 17 in my my local regiment the princess of wales's royal regiment um and deployed for the first time at 18 to northern ireland during the time of the good friday agreement so it was a really interesting time for an 18 year old wet behind the ears uh, private soldier on the streets of West Belfast and latterly drum Cree for the marching season. Um, my kind of destiny of going into the regular army and my dream to be a regular army officer. Um, it's still my dream, by the way, at 41, it's not going to happen, but it, it <laughs> never <laughs> stop believing, uh, never stop believing, never stop believing. But, um, you know, at uni, at Aberystwyth, doing international politics and OTC, Cambrian Patrol, mega, mega Kino bloke. I mean, I'd already had a tour under my belt by the time I got to uni. Um, I failed my medical at the regular commissions board. And basically the world came crashing down around me. And something I'd wanted to do from the age of 13 in, in the cadets through to service and obviously at university, all my networks were all destined to go to Sandhurst uh, it, it just wasn't to be so politics came about more of, of a, a consequence of all of that disappointment because I was kind of scratching around I, I basically disappeared and ran away from my problems while um, the, my muckers all went off to Sandhurst and were getting in amongst Afghan and Iraq and I skied and snowboarded for a few few years let's just say uh one of my friends calls it the wilderness years i mean and, running away from your emotional pain <laughs> does actually sound like a very military type thing to do so you know you can definitely be forgiven for doing that yeah i'm different character these days but back then you've you got it completely right i ran away from kind of dealing with um any mental stress to my detriment and um i had a great time don't get me wrong but whilst i was working and traveling overseas so canada sort of bounced around from canada to australia the french alps um, spain in the summers there was this burning thing with inside me of this purpose i had a taste of it i was obviously wired up that way and that was my motivator for wanting to join the armed forces in the first place so i had to look elsewhere so upon coming home um in my mid-20s I stumbled across an opportunity to work for the Conservative Party uh, to train as an agent. Now, I'd had no background at all in the Conservative Party, wasn't a member. I'd seen those kind of political geeks at university engage with political parties. And, you know, I was so blindsided by the military. It just wasn't for me. However, I'd grown up in a family that was very opinionated, um, sort of southeast London family very outspoken, uh, cared about things, community. So I guess it was in there anyway, about caring about something and having a purpose. So when I saw this opportunity of 
actually apply myself to something. And at the same time, David Cameron was engaging using digital. And I don't know if you remember, it was called Web Campaign. Sorry, um, Web, Web Cameron. Cameron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember, yeah. old school. And I, was, I felt for the first time, one of these politicians was speaking directly and having a conversation with me. And it was really clumsy and glitchy and, you know, the tech back then in 2006. It was, it was, it was proper and early adopter of this kind of tech. But it really connected with me and my social conscience. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to look into this and stumbled across this advert for the Conservative Party to train as an agent. And I haven't really looked back since. So what then embarked was a, uh, a career of, of several years. Um, I'd bounced around from working up, funny enough, where I live now in Northamptonshire for um, the associations of Andrea Leadsom, Chris Eaton-Harris, and um, I went down to work with Chris Philp in, on his first go in, in Parliament um, down in Hampstead and Kilburn, um, and went to work at the party treasurers for a bit. But when in doing so, I had to return and scratch this itch of the military. I just, there was this unanswered question that I just had to address. So I tipped up at my local TA unit, as it was known back then, and the intelligence corps in Hampstead. And lo and behold, before you know it, um, the rules had changed on my medical setback, which is psoriasis. And um, you end up somewhere hot and sandy. So I... Uh, <laughs> For two and a half years, um, I embarked on this journey as a Pashto linguist, um, having done the long language course. And in fact, I think we did brush shoulders on pre-deployment training um, when you were with the Mercians. Indeed. And, um, yeah, on, on a, I think it was like a we just we were just language monkeys, so, you know, doing a bit of a practice before we all deployed. And um, yeah, had a fantastic sort of a, I know it was like a a phoenix from the ashes I'd, I'd had another shot at the military and 12 years later i'm still serving in the ink corps reserves having just received my uh, vrsm medal for long service and good conduct wow god you good conduct i'm <laughs> impressed <laughs> i know I, I managed to uh, escape but um but yeah so i guess that's kind of a whistle stop tour for in my life is that um i'd reluctantly found politics i had re-engaged with my dream of being in the military, managed to do some kind of seminal tours of Northern Ireland and Afghanistan, um, and was proud to receive a Commander Land Forces commendation for that tour. Um, and on return, what did I do? Oh, I'm back to politics, of course. Um, and uh, went to work as Grant Shapps' agent when he was um, chairman. And it was at that point, I really realized the transferable skills, values and benefits of the armed forces community and politics, because I was so much better at my job from everything that I'd learned in Hellman. So I went from sort of Hellman to Hatfield uh, in, a, in a blink of an eye and had a, a glorious two and a half years working with Grant, who is could write the blueprint on how to be a good campaigner and constituency MP. And I just kept following this journey. There was something about this calling of the military, transferable skills into society, into business, and started doing in the early days of the Armed Forces Covenant, um, some localized stuff on the campaign. And that was again, to lead me into another accident of working for the MOD, who I had three amazing years running the, after the general election 2015, 
running the uh, relationship team for the MOD, engaging with big business. So the likes of Barclays, Deloitte, Tesco, etc. And uh, and that's really where I developed this niche on veterans affairs uh, and, of course, the reservist slant within business too. And and so, I mean, Johnny, well, what, what a fantastic um, sort of, a, a life condensed into into a couple of minutes and i mean your you know your service sort of speaks for itself um but can you can you talk a little bit more about campaign for specifically um you know why you started it how it came to be about you know who you who you founded it with um, and go into some more detail sure um i guess it came from that experience of on the ground working in conservative associations i've probably run the campaigns of around 600 local government candidates and um, you know, there are 20,000 councillors across the UK and I'd experienced the good, the bad and the ugly of, of grassroots politics. And I, it came out of this, I was frustrated about how to get people involved in communities in their politics, because I'll be perfectly frank, it's just not good enough at the moment. I've mm. worked with a lot of local authorities. I'm blessed to actually, in my, in my kind of consultancy work, to work with an amazing local government leader who's, you know, kind of, I'm very fortunate to have that a good example. But by and large, my experience has been mixed. And I started to ask myself the questions, why is it that people in communities, good people, aren't engaging with politics? And discovered various barriers, particularly at those association level politics, the kind of rhetoric around oh no um this is the way we always do things this is the kind of people we recruit into local government husband and wife teams for example are very common in politics and this isn't necessarily a conservative point because it's certainly my experience from both working with the opposition parties too and i just think in this country we've got an issue around engaging people with politics but with that at the moment people actually care and I think we've seen that in recent times, whether it be the environment or during COVID-19, people care about their communities. So I just thought, thought to myself, well, I know a really good community that is absolutely smashing it in industry. I've just spent three years working with big corporate industry who are tapping into those 15,000 service leavers that leave every year and it's helping them with their bottom line. It's helping them reputationally. It's solving problems. Why on earth isn't politics doing the same? So out of that frustration from the experience of working in the ground and really scratching around communities to try and oh, sometimes, you know, the conversations trying to get, come on, you be a brilliant, brilliant counsellor. And they're kind of self-deselect people in communities. I just thought, well, there's that almost my life has been a Venn diagram of the military politics and the MOD and in the middle is this thing called campaign force. So I basically nicked the concept from industry of how they have removed barriers to things like veterans getting into financial services or other industries and thought, well, that's the way they do it. Um, I'm going to nick some of that model and I'll do it in the world that I know, which is politics. So really establishing that there was an issue in my mind and other people are telling me about talent at a local level and applying my experience from working in the veterans community and campaign force was born really. And, and I understand that um, campaign force is a cross party initiative. Um, can you talk a little bit about your engagement 
you know, across, because it, it sounds like, you know, and I know from experience that you're as interested as getting, you know, um, military veterans to become perhaps magistrates or, or local councillors or parish councillors as you are to, to find, you know, the next kind of, you know, Johnny Mercer or, or um, uh, Stuart Anderson. Um, but, but you're also obviously across party as well. Can you talk about kind of how you try and tie in, you know, the, the sort of disparate political leanings of people and then also, of course, the, the very dis- different um, ways of contributing to your local community um, politically? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll be honest, when I initially set this thing up, I knew that I had to be cross-party because in order to have that effect and I didn't know I've got friends in other parties a very good friend of mine that I'm in the reserves with um whose other half is a prominent Labour MP obviously he and I um have shared fact if we started our own political party we'd probably be in the same one ideologically because he's <laughs> certainly uh you know we're kind of uh, sensible people within our own different political uh schools let's just say and um but the engagement across party is actually being relatively not easy is probably a a, a throwaway term to use but it hasn't been as hard as i thought and i think for me the rationale of and i'm completely at peace engaging with the labor party and the liberal democrats and the smp and um, any other sensible registered parties that want to engage with me um because if we get a better politics cross cross the near the board then our local communities will be stronger if you have a weak opposition, um, and I experienced that in where I live, for example, then the ruling party completely r- runs roughshod over the community, unchecked, unbalanced. So, and I just thought to myself, and I've witnessed this when I did my first event with Campaign Force. I, you know, we don't in- we don't encourage people one way or the other in terms of their ideology. It's their bag. But when they declare it, then guess what? I make the connections because I've got that reach within the parties now, you know, and the people that I've introduced to you, for example. Yeah. Um, what I've witnessed at first hand is that what is stronger than political allegiances um, and all that good stuff are the shared values and standards that we have from service. So I've been in a room, my first workshop, I was you know, kind of nervous about this thing um, in order to sort of launch it. And uh, we went to the pub after that first workshop. And I, there were people that declared their political differences. But what I witnessed there were these people coming together through the shared bridge of service and values, because that's, that runs deeper than any card that you might have in your wallet or certificate these days with the Conservatives, of course, um, about your political oh, membership. Oh dear. Don't get us started. <laughs> so um, that, I found, was more it's more powerful than a political allegiance because, you know, we put our service and um, the, the whole selfless commitment and the country before the party un, you know, undisputedly. So therefore when I've been engaging with people like Dan Jarvis and labor, you know, it's very, it's a very comfortable place to be because we have that shared service and that is the thing that binds us together. So I'm very passionate about that. And, in, and, I mean, for crying out loud, you know, I, I trained the Afghan National Police and some of those were reformed Taliban. So if I can engage with people that are once upon a time trying to kill us, then I'm sure I can engage with the Labour Party or the Lib Dem, <laughs> or dare I say, elements of the Conservative Party. So, <laughs> well, indeed. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, um, as I say to people, to be honest with you, you just got to pick a team. I don't really care what team they pick. I, um, but the important thing is, is that they stand up and serve again is the kind of phrase that we um, say daily, our mantra at campaign force um, and, you know, pick a team. And when you choose that team, we'll connect you, but uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's about communities. So once these people are out there in communities, they've got so much potential to be visible in other areas. Eventually I'd like to have an impact and influence on veterans and reservists serving in other ways, like becoming JPs, a school governor. I was a school governor once upon a time. Um, there are so many ways that individuals can make an impact in civic leadership and starting with a bit I know best is politics, of course. Um, but yeah, cross party, well networked across the piece. And what is that definitive thing that binds that glue that binds us all together are the shared service, shared dits, shared banter and uh, shared values and standards. So, Johnny, I mean, you've, you've encapsulated, you know, campaign force and, and the mission very, very clearly. And, and I think there's a, there's a lot that listeners can take away from that kind of pick a team. But, you know, if you've got that, those 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 values and standards, then actually really the team you're on isn't perhaps as important as as, as getting out those values and standards, you know, and, and, and that is something that we can all kind of share across the political spectrum. Um, you know, we've got, um, you know, uh, over 150 members now, um, you know, many of whom will be listening to this. Um, and, and that's that's only on the conservative side. But, you know, I've got a lot of respect for the work you do across party. Um, what piece of advice would you give to somebody who either has a, a, a military background or, or perhaps who identifies with the values and standards, maybe through their, their family or friends? What would you say to them to try and engage them in politics, to try and to get them to, to stand up and serve again. Can I swear? <laughs> yes, definitely. Go ahead. Right. Give a shit. So don't think that you have, there's this path to glory of becoming an MP or, or a, you know, you'll be told a million and one ways of right, what you need to do in order to do your parliamentary assessment board. You need to go and volunteer this amount of times. You need to go to conference, speak to these people. You need to do this, do that. Yeah, to be honest with you, you'll get more advice than you can shake a proverbial at. But the first and foremost thing is you've got to give a shit. And that starts right on your doorstep. If you don't care about your, your own community, and that can be something as benign as a local litter campaign. I'm an absolute nightmare neighbour to have, by the way, because I just bother people with the community. If there's you know an issue, I'm like, right, um, they're not going to solve it for me. And this comes down to the fundamental problems of local government. I, I particularly don't rate my local government. Uh, it happens to be a conservative one. So I've had to sort a lot of things out myself. So that kind of military approach of, right, identify an issue. We have a set of skills. Um, and if we haven't got the set of skills, then we'll just tend to find out or make it up. And, and we'll be mission centric and we'll solve that. And that kind of determination, apply that, those, that experience and those values and, and that selfless commitment to the why you want to be a politician at whatever level in the first place do not be blindsided over some kind of career aspiration that you know i really want to be an mp because i want to be an mp um, or you know i want some kind of power or influence yes you might have a a driving mission like johnny mercer has for example um with the veterans community and that's the, you know that's his why absolutely but in terms of, you know, start pretty local, actually give a shit. If you don't give a shit, 
And if, if you're throwing um, cushions at the TV and frustration at the state of things, then you need to ask yourself why you want to do this in the first place. So really be at peace with that. And, um, and also be unap- unapologetically authentic. Don't think that there is this, I, I need to look like Johnny Mercer. You know, there are 49 members of parliament that have a military background, actually now 50 with Raymond Christie just joining the reserves recently. Um, and um, they're all very different. They come from all different cap badges and services. Two thirds of them are officers. But we know from our own service that we are such a diverse community um, so, you know, whether from the Commonwealth or different parts of the UK. So be unapologetically yourself. And there's that big buzzword at the moment, authenticity. Um, what happens is that people that are interested in this will look for those, um, quite rightly, those inspiring figures that they look up to, but then they'll morph into a caricature of that person. So don't. Be yourself. And that's an easy, it's that you know, horrible cliche that's given time and time out. But, you know, if you talk in a certain way, um, that happens to be a regional accent or, you know, and you're in the Conservative Party and you're worried that how that's going to come across, oh, don't, don't give a shit. Be yourself. Um, and if they don't want you, then it's their loss because the armed forces community have so much to give, um, not just politics and society, but um, business too. And that's been proven by things like Deloitte in their report, Veterans Work. I declare an interest because I work on that in my private business as a campaign. Um, but 72% of businesses that they recently interviewed said they would recommend hiring a veteran. And that's a phenomenal endorsement from a big player um, like Deloitte and 500 businesses that they spoke to. So have that belief that what you've done in the military, that how you live your life, that moral compass that comes from the values and standards is bigger than, than you. And be you know don't change um take the good bits from it you know you're not uh, a veteran being a veteran isn't a job description it's just part of you but it's a good part of you or a reservist indeed or indeed a military spouse and these are great people that don't get training but are phenomenal individuals in their own right so uh, i've got a very long-winded way of saying it because i'm quite passionate about this bit but you'll get you'll get loads of advice and take it all in um but you've got two ears you know it can go out the other one if it wants um, take the good bits, speak to lots of people um, for a coffee price of a brew. You can get a lot of good advice, um, but do not think there's this template because it's changing. You know, politics is changing. It's so fast these days um, from, you know, we've seen a change from the Cameron Miliband era and uh, to what we're facing now. And I think we're, there's a change of the guard happening right now in our politics of the kinds of people and that raw authenticity, good people, is what the public want and that's gonna that gets reflected by those that are selecting politicians too eventually well there you have it be yourself give a shit and stand up serve again um johnny (laughs) thank you so much for joining us um for this segment of the podcast we really appreciate it we wish you all the best with campaign force do please continue to to stay in touch with me let me know what's going on so i can advertise it to our membership and our friends um, and all the best for your mission in the future which we thoroughly thoroughly support no well thanks very much and uh, you know anyone wants to reach out we have run some workshops over the last year um, there's going to be more to come more mission specific training that we're going to reach into that our little black book of network to empower people to advantage them into their careers 
Um, local government is one thing I'm particularly passionate about. It's not all about MPs. Don't overlook local government. And, uh, and also look, look in, look out for the uh, Veterans in Politics podcast as well that we're, we're launching as another part of um, our offer. Great stuff. We definitely will. All right, Johnny, thanks so much. Smashing. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Our final guest is Daisy Peck. Daisy spent six years working in campaigns for the Conservative Party before joining Cicero as an account executive. She's also a reservist in the Intelligence Corps and a keen supporter of Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces. Daisy, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you're currently a serving reservist. Could you tell us a little bit about your reservist journey? What brought you to the military and kind of what you've been up to? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a reservist uh, in the Intelligence Corps and I've been a reservist since 2015. Um, my journey actually started uh, in the wake of the 2015 general election. So prior to that, I'd been uh, working for the party as a campaign manager and had um, uh, you know, a really fantastic two years building up to this big event, working uh, you know, as part of a, a huge team and it all went very well, thankfully, in my uh, home seat of Northampton North. Um, but after that, I was left with a, a bit of a, a gap in my life um, that the general election had, had uh, left and looking for a new challenge, you know, something to push me professionally um, and, and give me that kind of same sense of adventure and, and team working that you get from a, a general election campaign. Um, and I had two fantastic reservists in my life at that time. Um, one, uh, one, one, my uh, boyfriend, who uh, five years later, luckily still is, um, and the wonderful Johnny Ball, who um, both of both of whom are, are uh, CFAF members now. Um, and Johnny, who heads it's up. Funny, it's funny you should mention Johnny Ball because he's going to be um, the other guest on this month's podcast. So oh. don't say too much about Johnny because he's okay. going to introduce himself. <laughs> Brilliant. I did not know that. Um, but both of whom, um, you know, I shared a, a lot of values with, um, had a huge amount of respect for uh, because, we, you know, we'd met politically. Um, and that was where uh, the similarities began and both of whom were really good advocates for the Army Reserves. Um, and, you know, coming from a, a single parent uh, family, I've, I was always taught by my mum, you know, anything a man can do, uh, you can do as well. And so, uh, lo and behold, I wasn't going to let my boyfriend have all the fun of being in the Army Reserves. Uh, so, uh, it wasn't very long before I joined up as well. And um, one of the uh, best decisions I've uh, ever made, it's, yeah, it's done me the, the world of good, um, you know, socially, professionally. Um, and you know, fulfilling that that desire of sort of public service that uh, most of us uh, in in the political world have, as well as in the, the military world. That's that's brilliant, and it's so interesting to hear um, from somebody who's involved with the military who cites role models as a as a reason why they've joined up. And I don't say that because that's unusual. I say it because on our podcast so far, on the on the last few um, episodes, most people. Um, look, are sort of focus more on their own kind of values, and obviously you mentioned you know commitment to public service, um, but but really interesting that you've had those two uh, those two people who've who've obviously impressed you and who you have admired or wanted to emulate or you've seen aspects of the military way of life that have impacted them in a positive way and that you've kind of tried to take that on. Um, we were talking before we started. Um, 
recording um, about your your partner and how he's now moving from the reserves to the regulars. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, my lovely Jack is uh, leaving on Wednesday to join the Army Legal Service. So uh, he's actually been a reservist for 10 years now. So he joined straight after school um, and he's had a you know, fantastic uh, career in the Remy. He's uh, played it very well and, and uh, visited some absolutely fantastic places. He's been to, to Canada, to Brunei, to Germany. He's um, yeah, definitely had a, a more geographically spread reserve career than I've managed so far um, but yeah he's off now um, as a uh, he's a currently a, a professional solicitor so he's joining the army legal service um, and yeah we're very interested to experience um, military life from from that perspective so you know being in the reserves is, is wonderful but it is definitely a, a very different beast from the regular army um, so I'm, I'm very proud to, to be waving off on Wednesday for his, his next adventure there. And um, I'm sure it will give us a, a different viewpoint and appreciation for uh, the armed forces. You've already talked a little bit about um, your sort of experience in the reserves. But could you talk about perhaps some of the, the difficulties that you've faced um, in your experience in the reserves, whether that's um, you know, on exercise or on operations, if you've deployed in operations, but I'm kind of, I'm interested to know how, um, obviously you've had these, these role models who've kind of encouraged you and inspired you and you've got this sense of um, public duty and public service, but like what, um, what have you sort of found difficult about that and how have you overcome it? Ooh, tough question. So I, I suppose the first thing to acknowledge is I've you know, only been in the reserves five years and uh, you know, thankfully we've had no major conflicts. So I haven't had the, um, you know, the, the privilege stroke burden of uh, deploying on operations like so many of my sort of peers did in the decade before uh, I joined the reserves. Um, but that's not to say that there aren't smaller difficulties to, to overcome um, and, and challenges. And I'd, I'd put them in two brackets. You've got the, the physical um, difficulties of uh, you know, putting your body through what it needs to go through um, in order to uh, you know, be an effective soldier. But uh, I suppose the, the, the more uh, physical challenges I've come across have been those that, uh, that I've willingly signed up to for adventure training, which is absolutely one of my favourite parts of uh, the reserves. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, learning to ski, I couldn't ski before I joined the army and on day four of learning to ski with the army, you're on a black run. You know, what, what um, sane minded civilian would do that? Um, <laughs> uh, I've had some, uh, you know, some other fantastic um, adventure training experiences that have sort of pushed me to my limits. Um, my reserve unit ran a fantastic um, trek from France into Spain, going over the Pyrenees following uh, the escape routes um, that uh, World War II soldiers, uh, uh, British World War II soldiers followed um, in order to you know, find safe passage home from occupied France, um, which was incredible and um, you know, physic physically uh, tough. We were carrying on our backs you know, more than we would um, on a six mile tab and, and we were you know, walking um, trail trekking and, and climbing quite frankly yeah quite a lot of the way uh, some extreme heights over uh, you know very long distances um but you always had in the back of your mind no matter how tough this was for you at that point um that you know 60 80 years previous people were 
undertaking those those routes with nothing but borrowed you know borrowed shoes and a blanket mm. so however tough it was for us um it was nothing compared to uh you know the soldiers that had, that had come before us and, and done it so uh, that was kind of a, a fantastic drive to, to to dig deep and keep going yeah um and then I suppose the second uh, difficulties is, uh, you know, the mental challenges you get. And for me, not coming from mil a military family, I really didn't know what to expect from joining the army. And the fear of the unknown mm -hmm. was a big issue for me at the beginning. I would spend probably more time worrying about what was to come and how I'd cope than actually, you know, the the, the eventual you know, activity took. Mm -hmm. um, and that I think has been you know, massively helped by having uh, fantastic role models. And it, as soon as you, you overcome that and you realize that the army is, is, is you know, not necessarily um, all of the, you know, what the media can make out of it is you know, very, very tough and mm. it's nothing but grit. And um, once, once you overcome that and you realize um, quite how supportive everybody is uh, and that you know you're, they def they're training you to succeed you know they're not training you out to fail um then you know it just opens so many opportunities and i you know i do nothing but look forward to to my experiences in the army now um yeah i mean well i, I mean uh, fascinating i mean uh, and 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 it's it sounds like you're obviously drawing a lot and and also daisy you know forgive me i don't know you that well but it sounds like um it's a real example of you you get out what you put in because those adventurous training opportunities that you've obviously undertaken and that you you can you can you know identify as uh, learning moments you know moments for professional development and personal growth you know you've you have had to you know make time go on those things train for those things overcome your own fears to do that and it's very an admirable sort of sitting here listening to, to you talking about your experiences how how do you think the the military kind of ethos and and those kind of experiences map across to your civilian life do you think that you're a better employee because of them do you think it has helped you in professional situations or or is it maybe a hindrance you know is it a time commitment or a pressure how, how do you feel that the the kind of dynamic works Oh, it's a, a huge advantage. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say one of the, the biggest advantages is sort of fearlessness. And, you know, I know that, um, ha you know, having overcome so, you know, so many sort of smaller, uh, you know, mental and physical challenges in my spare time in the reserves, that when, you know, my employers ask something of me that, you know, before joining the reserves, I might have gawked out and mm. um, you know, found a stressful experience. It's it, yeah, it, it sort of just bounces off you because yeah. you know that if you can overcome, uh, you know, climbing a mountain on a Saturday, that uh, you know, giving a presentation to this this board on a Monday is um, yeah, is nothing. Um, but one of the one of the things that I think I've benefited from, particularly as uh, an in-call reservist, is uh, just the assimilation. So, as, as within the Inc Corps, we tend to be sort of deployed in, and used as individuals rather than um, as, a, as a, a formed unit. That's you know the nature of the role that we have within the army is 
to provide intelligence support. It could be on a you know on a one-on-one basis to to a company. It could be as part of an intelligence cell where you're working in a very small group. Mm. Uh, but when I go on exercise, it tends to be uh, me or a very small group of um, my peers joining um, an already formed bigger bigger unit. So mm. we've got very good at adapting um, and you know learning to assimilate yourself into into a, a, a bigger team um, and adapting and um, the experience of being taken out of uh, one working environment and placed into another and being able to pick it up really quickly um, to, you know to adapt into the, to that those new scenarios um, at speed and be able to carry out your job uh, at a, an effective level is something that's particularly unique i think to the intelligence core and it's something that has really helped me um in 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 what i do in the political world because so much of 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 politics is chopping and changing between different different topics different policy areas different stakeholders uh, different clients in my case um and being that versatile and that adaptable um and able to uh work with a variety of of different um people is yeah i've absolutely learned that from from the intelligence core and being dropped into different different scenarios um yeah it sounds like you they're almost mutually supporting roles like the the in core uh, experience that you have and it, it almost the way you describe it kind of sounds a bit like a, con- a consultancy role you you kind of get parachuted in you provide a, a service you know intelligence you know analysis and then you you remove yourself from that unit and then you get posted to another one and it sounds like in your professional kind of work you you do that too can you just sort of describe your job your civilian job to us yeah, so uh, so I work for a public affairs consultancy uh, called Cicero Ammo, um, and it, so public affairs consultancy is is kind of the the new version of of lobbying. Really, um, it's all about sort of political and business relationships. So um, whether that's uh, explaining to business exactly what's gone down in Parliament, uh, which is a tough job at the moment, given uh, everything that's uh, been kicking off again with Brexit. It feels like we're in a bit of uh, Groundhog Day at the moment. Um, (laughs) But but it's very much a translation role, explaining to to businesses what's happened uh, in Parliament and how it affects them. Uh, Or it might be the other way around. So it might be taking your business's issue um, and trying to to explain to uh, some parliamentary stakeholders how um, that issue is affecting that business and what that parliamentarian can do to to help the problem um, and what changes um, to certain bills or wider policy might be needed and to to relieve that that issue that that business is having. And so with your Incor hat on and with your Cicero hat on, um, you know, obviously coronavirus has been the the overwhelming story of 2020. Um, how how do you think the government are handling the the crisis? How do you how do you see it? And how do you see uh, the kind of business stimulus packages that have been um, released? You know, the kind of furlough scheme um, and and that that sort of thing. Do you think that the treasury has, has handled the, the the sort of crisis well, or, or and and how do you kind of see the 
the future. I mean, that's obviously a massive topic and I don't want you to spend the next two hours, you know, going for it, but just broadly speaking, you know, with, with your sort of, with your dual hats on. Uh, okay, very broadly speaking, and, and this is absolutely a personal view and, and not a, a work view, but I, I think Rishi Sunak has done a, a, a fantastic job. I think um, we have, you know, we've, we've got one of the most generous furlough schemes in, in the whole of the world, let alone in Europe. Um, and the the credit that we've we've made available through the bounce back loans, the coronavirus business interruption loans, um, is unfounded. Um, we've gone much further than I ever expected a Conservative to go uh, with our business support measures and it absolutely speaks to the time that we're in and, and as well to you know to Boris Johnson as a um, very business friendly and um, you know, for, for as much as he, he gets a, a reputation for being a hard right wing on the Brexit issue he he's definitely um, be more interventionist than you you would expect from a from a right wing politician over coronavirus, and um, so far it's 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 done well. I think we've got a lot of challenges to face next year, mm. when you know as much as we've overcome the the health crisis at the moment, the economic crisis hasn't really hit us yet. Mm. I think in spring when we've got higher levels of of unemployment, um, and we're living with the sort of legacy of uh, of all of the the schemes that have been introduced now but are but are due to to end then um that will be the the more telling time but if if the the measures that uh, rishi's um, implemented over the summer are anything to go by then i i have uh, lots of confidence that uh that we'll do a good job well daisy thank you so much that seems like a an appropriate um point to end on with such a, a kind of concise analysis of such a, a complex and a, and a wide a wide open question um so thank you so much for that um just uh, one last thing um because obviously you're, you're you're in the in the kind of segment of of one of our members and I, thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate it um but um something that i i wanted to ask was you've obviously now been a member for about a year you've been coming to our events um would you mind talking us through kind of which events you've been to and, and which you've kind of found particularly enjoyable and if there are any uh, other events in the future that you'd like us to organize um, we're going to be releasing a survey this month to all of our members um, and that's going to be one of the questions so i wondered if you could sort of preempt um people's responses and just maybe you know generate some ideas uh, yourself or, or perhaps you know you just think that cfas doing a great job and we should just continue as we are well of, of course i do think cfas are doing a fantastic job um <laughs> i've really enjoyed um coming to your sort of networking event uh, over the last year um a particular favorite of mine was uh the fundraiser at the cavalry and guards club in february where you had, I think you had Penny Morden and you had Sean Bailey speak. And I really liked hearing from Sean Bailey. And, and it really surprised me because you know I'm not a Londoner, I live in Northampton. And I sort of wondered, oh, what's the, you know, the Conservatives mayoral candidate for London going to have to say that interests interests me really? I just doesn't have a military connection that I'm aware of. Um, and I have no connection to London. Um, but what I found so fantastic about it was that I mean I, I had no idea Sean has um, you know a fantastic career in the cadets he's a um, I think he's an honorary colonel in yeah, the cadet right. board and he was able to I mean he, you know he spoke really passionately about how his time in the cadets 
um, growing up had you know, been one of the main reasons that you know, kept him on the straight and narrow growing up in London. Um, and he you know, spoke about the military values and standards and it, it really resonated with me. And, it, you know, I went from not being terribly interested in the London mayoral campaign to you know, being super supportive of, of Sean. And it, it was really interesting to see somebody who I, you know, didn't perceive as having uh, a particularly strong military background or interest in the military to speak about what his experience in the cadets or and the wider sort of military ethos meant to him. Mm. Um, so rather, you know, rather than uh, you know, hearing from um, you know, MPs who, who are you know, veterans or, or reservists or you know, those with very tangible um, sort of military backgrounds, that's, that's always really interesting and you have that natural collection. But I found it so fascinating um, listening to what the military meant to somebody who hadn't directly been involved in it. Mm. And it, it just... Oh... Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I remember. No, I mean, I remember. I, I, I remember, and it, and it was quite. It was. It was quite inspiring, you know. And I thought Sean spoke very well. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was. It was very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure, do I think? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So I mean, if, yeah, no, not at all. Like, have you? I'm, um, you know, sort of go, going on to the second part of the question. Is is there anything else that you'd like to to get from uh, Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces? No, I think the Conservative Friends of the Armed Forces, um, you know, it's been a fantastic um, opportunity for me to, to meet new people, um, hear some fantastic speakers. I think one thing that we could do going forward is that we've got so many fantastic, um, you know, service facing people uh, in the Conservative Party that I would like to see us when conference does eventually um, happen in person in future years, actually try and tap into the Conservative network um, for recruitment purposes. I think um, we do a great job of engaging everybody that is already involved in the military and I think there is a fantastic opportunity to uh, to inspire more um, just regular Conservative members into being, you know, being at the reserves um, or an interest in the military more widely. Daisy, I think that is a fantastic idea and one which we will definitely take forward. That's, uh, I, I had never, I had, I had only considered the pipeline going from the military into the party and I had not from the the party into the military but that is a that is a really excellent point um i really appreciate it and i have to say that with speakers you know and and you know inspirational people like yourself who who are who are doing both politics and uh you know military stuff in the reserves you know you're the perfect advert for that so you know noted and and watch out we might we might come knocking on your door and asking you to uh, to try and be the face of that campaign so thank you so much for sharing that idea and thank you so much for coming onto the podcast um is there anything else that you you'd like to cover today no i i think uh, you've left it on a very salient point i think anybody who's not already uh, considering um, you know, jo joining the reserves or the army more widely is, is missing a, a fantastic opportunity of uh, adventure and personal growth. Um, and I'm more than happy to uh, to advocate it to anybody who who wants to hear more. Brilliant, that's brilliant, Daisy. Thank you so much, um, and and uh, and have have uh, a good rest of the weekend and a good rest of the month. You too. You've been listening to the CF Armed Forces podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. 
and join us the next month. Goodbye.